Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Depends on the Topic. I'm Taylor, and I've got with me Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello. Say hi, Rob. Hey. And John. Hey, everyone. All right, so on Depends on the Topic, each week we rotate who is hosting, and that host will pick the topic and any rules of engagement for that week. This week, John is hosting, and I wish I could tell you what this episode will entail, but that just depends on the topic. What are we talking about, John? Thank you, Taylor. We are talking about books. And what I want you all to do is think back to the books you've read, and I want you to describe your favorite book that you ever read. You know, what makes it your favorite? Who is your favorite author? Why are they your favorite author? You know, do you prefer reading books? Do you prefer listening to them? You know, what's your ideal book length? And then if you wanted to write a book, you know, what would it be about? Things like that. And so I think we'll start with Taylor. Take it away. All right. So I'm a little bit of a book nerd. I enjoy reading. I've always enjoyed reading. So there's a lot of, I, I, I could talk a lot on this topic. I think I'll start with favorite book. That's pretty easy. My favorite book is by G.A. Hinty, who I'm not going to list as my favorite author, though he's very good. But what he did, he's an 1800s era writer who wanted to teach English schoolboys English history. And so to do that, what he does is he takes a fictional character that he makes up and he puts that person inside of a historical event and tells that person's story. So it's first person kind of, it, it reads like a fantasy novel, but it's in the context of real histor- historical events. And that main character will always be the type of things you would want to teach English schoolboys. you know, chivalrous, he'll be adventurous and respectful to his elders and all those good principles. My favorite one is Beric the Briton. And that's not Britain. It's spelled differently because it's the original Britain, the natives to the island. And Beric is his character. He's a son of a chief dis of a native tribe during the second Roman invasion into the island of Britain. And he grows up inside the Roman city nearby because he's a a hostage exchange with the Romans. So he grows up with this like cross-cultural thing where he learns Roman fighting and Roman education. The family that he grows up with is really nice. And he eventually is released back to his tribe right before rebellion breaks out from the Britons against the Romans. They drive the Romans back. The Romans eventually reconquer. And then he's taken away as a captive to Rome to go be a gladiator and adventures ensue all throughout that. It's a great story. It's pretty long and the characters in there are really interesting and it teaches you the history of that event and also helps like encourage good morals for young people, you know, along the way. Lots of unexpected twists and turns through the story that I really enjoyed. And he's the the characters is like great leader among men as a young, you know, Briton savage. He's super strong and tall and all those things. And as a kid, I read up, I read the book and looked up to him a whole bunch. And I've read the book again and again. I've probably read it eight or nine times, a few times as an adult. And it's always fun to go back to. So Beric the Briton is my favorite book. Beric the Briton. Okay. That is pretty interesting. So now we'll move on to who do you think your favorite author is and why is your favorite author? My favorite author is J.R.L. Tolkien. 
Tolkien is probably everybody's favorite author if they've read him. He's incredible. And I could talk at length about why. His anchoring into different historical traditions in Europe, the breadth of the languages that he wrote, the world that he created, the really, really good characters that he developed. And he was not an author by trade. He kind of like breaks the rules about how you should structure a, a novel. And his editors gave him a bunch of pushback along the way. And he's like, nope, this is my story and this is how I tell it. And that originality, I mean, obviously, was successful and echoes through generations. Um, he, his writing, the first time you read through his books, it's kind of staggering. You'll get lost in it because they're really, really rich, uh, really chunky reading. Like it, it's, it's a lot in there to consume. But then the, that leaves you a lot to come back to. Third, fourth, fifth times I've read the Lord of the Rings trilogy, something similar, six or ten times over the last 15 years. More than that, gosh, 18 years I've been reading them. And there's always more to come back to. Every time you read them through, you anchor to a different character or understand a different perspective or get the history that he's written in there. It took him like 50 years to write the books because he wasn't really writing books. He was creating a world in order to create languages and invent his own histories and things like that. And along the way, he was writing some novels. And occasionally, he would scrap the novels and start all over. And that left left us with the product that we all have. Yeah, I'd be really curious to read some of his earlier works I mean, before he scrapped it for what we have now. His son went through them a few times after he died. His son, Christopher Tolkien, finished, I think this is correct, finished the last book for him based off the notes that he had because he died before he finished writing The Return of the King. So I think the last little bit, it was probably written by J.R. Tolkien, but was assembled by Christopher Tolkien and probably had some some filling in writings. But you can also get uh, Book of Lost Tales, I think one and two, that are just like, here's a big piece of his notes that he didn't include in the books, but here's what he wrote. There's a, a conversation between this is the only one I can think of offhand, a conversation between Gimli, Gandalf, and Frodo, I think, that happens at Minas Tirith after the whole war is over and they're like waiting on the coronation for Aragorn. And they're all just kind of like debriefing. They've all been on these different adventures. They've been split up the whole pretty much the whole time. And they're like, well, I can't remember how it all goes, but they kind of piece back everything back together. And then Gandalf tells the story to Gimli about how he originally linked up with Thorin to go take Bilbo on his original quest in The Hobbit. So that's that's just tucked away in there. So Tolkien wrote tons, and we have a good representation of what's there. They're, they just published a book this year, last year, 2019 or 2020, that was another assembly of his works that had never been read before by anybody. Not in the main story that we know from the trilogy, but the, the ancient history is a Middle-earth kind of stuff. I haven't read it, but... Um, you just, On your book list? <laughs> you yeah, yeah that, that expansive list of books that I intend to read one day. Should I, should <laughs> I live forever on a desert island? That'll be next time. <laughs>
I was going to say that Tolkien was my favorite author as well, but now that I can't pick that, and you explained it very well, I'll have to pick somebody else when it's my turn. I didn't want to cut everybody off of the past because I think a lot of people yeah, said Yeah, well, and you said it, you know, like for a lot of people when you get in, you start reading this stuff, yeah, he's excellent. I think one of the reasons he's my favorite author, kind of like you said, I just think the detail the that he went to and, and the depth of his characters and his stories it's, it's just impressive more than anything. Like when I, even still, when I read through Lord of the Rings, there's so many parts that are, that, that are boring to me because it gets into such detail and, you know, it starts, I start to get bored trying to like reading through a lot of it, but I'm impressed with just the, the amount of detail and really just the stories he, he comes up with are, are impressive. And obviously they're very popular and they're, they're really good. Very nice. So we'll swing back to Chris here in a second then. So that way you can have a backup favorite author, I guess. <laughs> unless you unless you want to go into more detail about JR, which is fine. Up to you. I don't think I can. Uh, <laughs> that's some pretty good detail there. I didn't realize his son actually finished the Return of the King. I think that's accurate. Well, all right, now you're going to have to go look it up while someone else is talking. I know. <laughs> so, Robbie, do you have a, a favorite book or a favorite author or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll just say up front, I'm not a big reader, personally. I would say that I've definitely read a bunch of books in the past that have really stuck out to me as uh, things that I've enjoyed. I was originally going to come into this and say uh, that my favorite book was probably Starship Troopers, which, as anyone who knows, is not the same. I mean, it is generally the same as the movie, but not really the same. I mean, they, when the movie came out, it was kind of different than what was in the book. But I'm going to go ahead and change it up a little bit and just say that the most recent book that I've read that I've enjoyed the most is a book called The Outpost by Jake Tapper, um, which is a story about army unit in Afghanistan in, uh, I believe it was like 2006. Six? No, 2009. Basically, they're in a little tiny uh, combat outpost out in the middle of nowhere in eastern Afghanistan. And it's the first battle, I think, since Vietnam where two U.S. service members that actually survived the fight were awarded the uh, Medal of Honor. And it's like one of those stories that you read it and you're just like, how did this happen in real life? Recently, there was actually a movie that came out about it. I think it was actually just called The Outpost, too, just along with the book. Um, but it's it's really good. I highly recommend it for anyone to uh, go ahead and read it. It's definitely not a, uh, you know, super fun, you know, fictional, magical story. But it's I think it's really important to uh, read these kind of things and kind of hear what other people have done uh, in the past and some of the things that people have done in the name of their country. So I would say that that is probably my favorite book without getting into too much detail there. Uh, now for favorite author, and we can come back to reasons why I like it if you want, but uh, favorite author, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I do not have a favorite author. I pretty much will just, you know, people will recommend certain books, you know, sometimes, you know, your job will sometimes provide like a reading list and you'll go ahead and read the different books. But I'm not the kind of person to wake up on a Saturday morning, brew a coffee and go sit out on the back porch and read a book. So <laughs> I will definitely be listening to what your guys' favorite books and authors are and maybe uh, take some of those recommendations and that new action. So, well, now I got to think of a freaking favorite book, too, because I'm sitting. OK, hold on. <laughs> What are you saying, Taylor? Well, you just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite book, Starship Troopers, and then not talk about it and go to a different one that other people probably like too. You know, you guys just, all right, I just want you to list all my favorite things. So I don't have anything to talk about. That's fine. Just go for it. 
No, what's up, Taylor? You were you Taylor? Well, no. So okay. So hey, bring up Starship Troopers, man. Yeah, I was wrong. Christopher Tolkien did not finish uh, the Return of the King. That was done by J.R.R. Tolkien, but he did. I was I was accurate about the, what I was driving at. He did publish the Cimmerillion, and uh, according to the Wikipedia page, Tolkien referred to his son as his chief critic and collaborator, and named him his literary executor in his will. So, and it, it, he also did what I call the Lost Tales. It's called the Unfinished Tales. It's right behind me on my bookshelf. I could turn around and look, but I didn't. In the history of Middle Earth, in twelve volumes between 1983 and 96, and then 2007 they published the Children of Huron, and then 2017 was Baron and Luthien, and that was the one that I was trying to remember. Uh, so, I've got a lot of reading to do on Tolkien. If I want to call him my favorite author, Uh yes, so <laughs> do I. Apparently, I didn't realize there's all those volumes. Holy cow! <laughs> so and we'll, we'll swing back around to Chris again here so I'll, I'll go ahead and go so I think one of my favorite authors is James Harriet it's a, it's a pen name I believe his actual name is James Alfred Wright White but he was a, a veterinarian in rural Yorkshire England and in, it's and where he's doing his little uh, his vet stuff it's set between you no know, World War II or right before World War II up until I think like the sixties and the way he writes is just you're right there with them in those you know, stalls as he's trying to calve an animal or something like that. It's, it's incredible. That's my favorite author. And I don't know about, I have to have a favorite book by him, but all his books that he's written in his little series is really good. So how about you now, Chris? Wait, is this like Animorphs? What are we talking about here? It's a veterinarian series. It's, the first book is all creatures great and small, and then all things bright and beautiful. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a veterinarian. It. Can you talk to me about the genre? Like, cause I, I'm not familiar with veterinary as a genre. Like, what? What's the story like? Yeah, it's not a lot of people have heard of it. Weirdly, but I think everybody should take a at least a gander at it as a veterinarian. He's, Well, it just talks about his life and what he does on a daily basis, the people who he interacts with the as a veterinarian, you know, as a as a person. And he starts off as a single guy, you know, in the nineteen twenties, and then you just see him grow and in his business and as a person. And so by the time he ends the series, he's got he's married and has, you know, a few kids and a very successful practice. So it's just really cool that he takes you along this journey and the way he writes. So he's writing his own it'd be called autobiography as he's living his life. He keeps writing different. Kind of. It's like a memoir, I would say. Very interesting. And definitely check it out. Do the animals have like superpowers or anything? Or is it just like... No, just Got any kidding. of them uh, superpowers? <laughs> 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 yeah yeah the, or anything just... good come on <laughs> <laughs> is there any gunfights any bombs going off in the background right no it's real life stuff no superpowers hmm. well, he's just a really funny author Chris before you answer I would like to issue you one free token to give you a pass for having the same favorite book as somebody else it can only be used once so use it wisely 
Well, I was going to talk about the veterinarian. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> what do you mean a free pass? So I could talk about the same book again? <laughs> no, Chris, enlighten us, enlighten us on Starship Troopers, because I feel like most people, uh, well, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like most people have probably seen the dorky, like, early 2000, late 90s movie where they're, you know, fighting the bugs on Clendathu, but don't... I think that was, I think it was an 80s Was it really? Movie, well... It's Either way, though, so they've probably seen that movie, but have probably not read the book, because in my opinion, and I don't want to steal any of your thunder, but the movie is just kind of dorky. It's fun, but it's, like, not serious, whereas the book, I, I thought, was a lot more serious, and just took, the movie just took some aspects of the, the book and kind of turned it into a fun, you know, Star Wars-esque-ish sort of kind of movie. All right, I, I think you're being too kind. The movie is an atrocity that is not <laughs> anywhere close to the story. If you've seen the movie, I'm sorry. If you haven't seen the movie, please do not watch it, even after you have read the book. I would say uh, the first movie is not bad. The second and the third are like painful to watch, but yeah. There's a oh, second yes, and a third. They even, sing, they even sing in the second and third one. This is no. uh, are the second third ones musicals or something or no it's it's they're like it just YouTube it it's bad don't don't YouTube it please I'm, I'm picturing High School Musical but with bugs dancing in the yeah, background please. no <laughs> or the dancing sharks from the Super right. Bowl oh my goodness all right I have to defend Starship Troopers now thank you um. So I, I was going to pick Star... Here's the thing. Like, I Just like Rob, I don't see myself as a big reader. However, um, before... I, I'm sitting here, like, I was looking around the house. I was like, okay, let me just pick some of my favorite books out, see what I got. And I ended up with a bigger stack of, like, books I really like than uh, I expected. So trying to pick, like, the favorite book. I, I think I would... I do want to go with Starship Troopers, but maybe I'll pick a second because of the free pass sandwich. But now I have to defend Starship Troopers because of that. Um, oh, I want to reiterate, the book is amazing. The movie should be criminal. Like the, the you should, it's not, it's not even close. It vaguely, there's names are so are the same, but the story is completely different. It's horrible. The book. Well, why don't you talk about talk about the some some quick major okay, differences? Everything. Don't even just don't even look at the movie. No, forget the movie. The movie is so wrong. Well, my people, like, for people example, may have seen the movie. Right, I've seen the movie, but I've never read. Oh, I've never read the book. All right, okay. Let me let me just start off by saying Starship Troopers is the baseline for almost every popular modern sci-fi that you can think of. Everything is kind of stolen themes from the original Starship Troopers book. In fact, after I read this, I went back and looked at some of my favorite sci-fi games, sci-fi movies, sci-fi books that are more recent, and all of them are are like ripping off Starship Troopers in some way. And I'm okay with it, but it's that good of a book. The general the general premise is it's humanity versus alien bugs, right? Which is a pretty common theme, I think, probably because this was so popular. But the the main character becomes this like super soldier, sci-fi super soldier kind of thing that jumps around planets in this like super suit. Uh, think a Halo or something like that. 
and his journey of kept from being a high schooler throughout this war. And I'm not going to spoil the story at all, but uh, I've always pictured them being like, yeah, 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 exactly. There's a little bit to the imagination there, but they are, they're like mech suits, but essentially they're, they're like super soldiers in these mech suits. And it describes kind of how the suits, uh, enable them to be successful. And so you, you, for example, the movie, they land on this bug planet and hundreds of mindless uh, jock idiots that don't know how to shoot guns run out of the back of this thing, just like dying as they shoot at bugs. Like that's what, like, what is that in, in the book, uh, in the actual story, Starship Troopers, it's like a team of like four or five, it's a squad, four or five people. They'll jump down on a planet and in these mechs, I think it's an actual infantry squad, which I think would be nice. I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't know how big the squadrons are, but basically these like specialty units go in. They're in these mechs. These soldiers are in these armors that are very capable of fighting these bugs, and and so much so that they're actually spread apart by like a mile. Each soldier in a suit can cover like this huge range, and they all just kind of like sweep through enemy planets, like you know, doing this thing. And there, it talks like there's a lot of it that talks about his training. There's uh, some philosophical and political undertones to the whole thing too a lot of them i don't you know i don't exactly agree with but it's it's really interesting um well like citizenship. yeah yeah service means citizenship i think is what it is so basically like people are born into this society but they have to earn through government service essentially they have to earn their role their citizenship in society so imagine if like like you, yeah, you, you can't, can't even vote, vote unless you've served you two vote years. Unless you've served in the government in some capacity, like you have to contribute to the system if you want to reap the benefits of the system, which is interesting. And there's so many ways I disagree with a lot of it, but it's, but it's, there's some themes like that that go throughout the entire book. It's very very interesting, but also it's got the development of your your main character, him going through his growth from to being a teenager to being a soldier throughout this war and some interesting plot twists as they come up uh, and it's just a great it's a great story it's a great read it's actually not even that long i'm looking at it now it's not a very long story uh compared to some others that i have here and uh if you read it and you're a fan of other modern sci-fi i think you will recognize some glaring similarities in fact i would go so so far to say and i'm sure people would would fight me on this but i would say that ender's game is probably a, a a ripoff of Starship Troopers, or at least it, you could argue that it takes place in the same universe. It's uh, it's that influential Starship Troopers is in, in modern sci-fi. Ooh. So that's Starship Troopers. I I really like the book. It's good. So Ender's Game was written in 1985. Do you want to know Starship more? Starship Troopers was written in 1950. There you go. So you got a solid 16-year lead. And there were some, there were other sci-fi books that had kind of similar, like, structure, the basic structure of fighting aliens and things like that, invasions. Because what, what's what's the movie War with Mars or the, Mars um, Attacks? Is that the the Tom Cruise movie? No, Mars Attacks is when they like yodel at the aliens and their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was War uh, of the Worlds? War of the Worlds, thank you. That was 1940s, and that man, that was the one that was read over the yes, radio. Yes, caused caused massive mass yes. panic. <laughs> uh, oh, those simple people of yesteryear! If only they were as smart as us. 
Okay, that's, so that's very very tongue in cheek. One, one interesting thing, one interesting thing about what Chris was saying about Starship Troopers kind of paving the way for science fiction stuff. So it came out after Star Wars. Well, okay, the book came out before Star Wars, but the movie came out after Star Wars. But I would argue, as uh, as I put in our little chat. I think that Starship Troopers really, the movie, paved the way for a lot of the video games that we know and love. Because if you look at the little space marines or whatever the frick they're called, the or the mobile infantry, like in the movie, and then look at the space marines from Halo, so I kind of had that backwards, They like I feel like Halo absolutely ripped the mobile infantry off completely for all their video games. Their helmets, their, look at their, helmets. their armor... Their helmets. Their guns. Everything curves, about it. Yeah. I don't know. But yes, also, yeah, there are... Uh, actually, now that I'm looking at it here, it looks like there's actually five Starship Troopers movies. Can we... All right. None of them exist. <laughs> Nobody watched them. Supposedly, supposedly there will be a more... Uh, there will be a new Starship Troopers that actually follows nice. the book. And in that case, I'll be interested. If it's anything close to the book, if it's as close to the book as... Lord of the Rings movies were to the books, or as Harry Potter was to the books. Like they're not they don't not exactly the same, but they're they follow the story. If it does that, I think I'll be happy with it. Starship Troopers movie, it's like they had a movie they wanted to make anyway, and then they were like, Oh, here's a book that's popular. Let's use those names. Yeah, let's just take the names <laughs> and do whatever we want with it. There's one major difference. I remember in the books the marines but yeah yeah the books are good and the movies yeah yeah stop being bad and start being good that's what i tell myself when i'm playing video games in the books the marines were all male but many of the navy officers that flew the ships would be female so there was a dividing line and the male marines were not allowed past a certain part of the ship where there would be females because there was that uh, bifurcation and in the movie, that's not reflected the same. <laughs> not at all. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely not the same. One interesting thing I liked about the story is how, depending on where you went to serve or, or what category of service you went into, uh, is very, very different, I guess, very different career paths, but yet they still kind of became intertwined. So, like, he, he went off to be, you know, the mech suit super marine dude um uh, another friend of his was a pilot another one was like the politician but they all kind of like made it through the story doing like kind of intertwining in their own way it's very it was very interesting to see and like based on their i guess it was aptitude tests out of high school is where they got placed asvab yeah yeah so they take their aptitude test and they're like yeah this person's smart and will be successful so we're going to put him in this like command track role right out of high school and uh you know everybody wants to go be a pilot and only you know the people who are going to be good at being pilots get picked obviously and and those people end up going and doing oh yeah you're gonna be an officer to do this and you know the ones who didn't do so good on the test uh you know go over to the more physical less thinky less thinky jobs, <laughs> jobs. But it's just really interesting kind of how that played out through the story. And it, I think they did a good job of highlighting um, maybe almost caricature, caricature rising, uh, that kind of stuff that we might see in real life too. But anyway, I mean, I could, I could, t- I could use my free pass and pick another book, but I got a stack of books here and they're all very different. 
think I talked about that one a lot. So yeah, I, I like Starship Troopers. If I had to pick an author though that isn't Tolkien, <laughs> that's uh that's tough because all the books I like are by different authors. So it's kind of hard to say I like one. Uh... Do you find yourself gravitating towards an author more than not? You know, I know you mentioned that you weren't a huge reader, but is there a book aside from Lord of the Rings that you just pick up and read every once in a while? Not really. Um, although I, when I was collecting these books to talk about, uh, I definitely realized I need to reread some of these. And uh, I have some that I actually haven't read that I really want to read. Um, That's a theme among all of yeah. us is books that we intend to read and don't. <laughs> yeah. And books that you reread. Are we going to have time to talk about like other books that we like? I've got, like I literally yeah, have a stack of books here. Well, I, we can get to that later just to talk about my favorite. I'll just pick a favorite author. It can't be Tolkien. It can be Tolkien. No, it can't be Tolkien. Multiple people can have... You're allowed to have the same like as Taylor. No, I do the same thing at restaurants. Like if someone orders the thing that I was going to get, I like I don't order it because I want a variety. So, <laughs> uh, all right, let's compliment Tolkien with some uh, C.S. Lewis. There we go. And here's the thing. I don't think I've actually read C.S. Lewis's most popular uh, stories. Like Chronicles of Narnia, I haven't read Chronicles of Narnia. I've only seen the movies. I think I've read actually, the first book. I'm actually reading them right now. Well, why wasn't it your favorite then? <laughs> <laughs> um, I what I like about C.S. If I if I may, his non-fiction book reading. Well, actually, all of them. Some of them. Some of my favorite. I'm holding right here. I'm holding the Screw Tape Letters. It's fiction, but relating to his writings on religion. Um, I think are very thought-provoking. So the Wormwood letters, excuse me, the screw tape letters written to Wormwood, I just think are very interesting. Um, it's a completely different way to think about um, like spiritual spirituality, spiritual struggles. It's a it's a the demon that's plaguing a person. It's like he he has a mentor. His uncle is mentoring him on how to demonize this person. And it's just very interesting because he's basically, through these letters, he's talking about things that people deal with in everyday life in in like a spiritual way. Uh, and it's just interesting to think about it from, let's say there was some sort of evil power out there that wanted these like negative things in people's spirituality to, to come up. Um, he's presenting it from that angle. And then it kind of makes you think like, oh man, like if if I behave in certain ways, am I, you know, am I aligning myself more with how these demons in his story would, would want me to align? It's just, it's very interesting to, it's like, it's kind of out of the box thinking on, on a spiritual topic. I don't know. Have you guys, have you guys read the screw tape letters? I have not. I have. And I, so I have a long time ago and I still, you remember this, Chris? That I fell prey to the misinformation thing. Yes. Oh, yes. I remember this. That was a screw tape letter thing. This was so we're in. We just finished the 2020 election season, and in 2016, we knew there was a lot of social media manipulation, misinformation put out there, fake things, and so I've tried to be on the lookout for things that are, you know, fake. Yeah, fake, yeah, fake or fake news. 
fake news, yeah, or, or whatever. fake news, whatever that and, is. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I reshared on Facebook this quote, allegedly from C.S. Lewis, and I pulled it up real quick. So, you, you explained pretty well the premise is the demon uncle writing to his demon nephew about how to trip up the subject or the patient, which is a human that he's trying to keep from being a good Christian or whatever. And there's this pretend quote from C.S. Lewis that says, My dear Wormwood, please be sure the patient remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. And it goes on from there. And I thought, you know, that's such an insightful quote from C.S. Lewis, even you know, back in the 1940s or 50s or whenever he wrote that, people were still obsessed incorrectly with uh, with politics, and that's it happens to us. And so I shared it. I thought it was so great. And then later, I saw it had been flagged by Facebook fact checkers as being disingenuous. And I thought, well, that's pretty crummy of Facebook to attack a C.S. Lewis quote. It's a great quote. And, but it said, it's not a C.S. Lewis quote. And I was like, what? So I went and decided to fact check myself, got my copy of Screwtape Letters, and I went through it page by page, and sure enough, it's not in there. For whatever reason, somebody sat down and fabricated this C.S. Lewis quote from a demon trying to teach his demon nephew to keep a human fixated on politics. But it's a, what is the motivation of somebody who fakes that quote? Who are they trying to make look stupid? Somebody like me? Or try to think, make other people think that I think that way? What, what, what game is being played by that? It was really disturbing. You know, we can talk about, we can talk about misinformation maybe uh, on another, yeah, another night. But I mean, I think really what it is is the bad actors who are out there, whether they are foreign to the United States or whether they're uh, just trolls or just generally bad people. They, it, they, it's some of some of them just want to watch the world burn. It's intentionally, it's to sow strife. They want people to be polarized. They want, they don't want, they, they basically they want the infighting. So anything like there, there's. This these misinformation things like that one you described and all the way across the board are are just there so that people have something to fight about. You know, I, if I can get you further to your side and away from commonalities with other people, if I can get them further to their side, it's you know just trying to to, to weaken society. <laughs> and to what end? I don't. And know. That, that's weird. the goal of the demons writing in these letters. That's being faked. That's what's so it's so mind trippy to me. I don't know that that one was maybe, frustrating. Maybe uh, maybe the, all these experiments with like artificial intelligence have like already worked, and they're just so advanced that like all these things are like these aren't humans doing all this. This is like AI just trying to make humanity destroy itself. Careful, so computers can careful more. with that red pill, man. It'll get you. I know. <laughs> See. That's why I only uh, that's why I only follow like reputable news news sources like uh, the Babylon Bee. That's the only way I get my news. <laughs>
picking a favorite author, Babylon B. Yeah, heck yeah. So C.S. Yeah, so C.S. Lewis went around the back over to C.S. Lewis. I'll say he's my favorite author, even though I haven't read all of his things. I really like the way he writes about things, and I have read several of his books. And it's one of those things where, uh, similarly to Tolkien, if somebody's like, "Hey, look, we're going to publish this new work by Lewis that like was incomplete, and they found it in his nose," like I would totally go read it. You know, so I, I would say that would be why he would be one of my favorite authors. Nice, excellent. Now, kind of swinging back around, what would be your ideal link to the world? chapters, things like that. Ooh, can I, can I start this one? You can start this thought. one. You can start this one. Go ahead, Chris. My, I've got, I'm looking at my stack of books here. Screwtape Letters is actually pretty short, 100, 120 pages, and that's including like the intro pages and stuff that I have here. And I have this other book here that's 1,300 pages long. And I would say that my ideal length of book, I would say there is no ideal length of a book. I think what it is is how it's divided, how it's broken up. Because if that's a 1,300-page book with, like, 300-page chapters, yeah, I'm not going to make it through that book. I'm sorry. Like, I'll have to stop in the middle of a sentence somewhere when I fall asleep. Um, but if the chapters are broken up well, if I could read a section at a time, I'd say, honestly, if I could, for me, an ideal section of a book, if I could read it, if I could read it in chunks that are, that are easily, uh, separated, e easy for, easy to take a break in between at, at some easily marked place, like a chapter, uh, or a section of a book, and I could keep that to within... I don't know, I would probably aim for like a 30-ish minute window, 30 to 30 minutes. Yeah. If I could do something like that, a chunk of a book in 30 minutes, it probably doesn't matter how long the book is because I'll work my way through it eventually. Okay, okay. Uh, Taylor, what about you? Uh, I think similarly about it. I want to be able to consume a miniature story inside of a single sitting. So that's about right. But I, I like long books. Because I get into a certain mode, whatever, especially storybooks, which I much prefer reading novels. As I've got a lot of um, nonfiction books. I'm trying to think of what to call them, like edification books, either religious or thought books or things like that that I want to read. Just I never get around to them because I'd rather go back and just read a, a good story. So for story book for novels. Um, I like them to be long because I like getting into a world for a few weeks on end. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, things like that. Like I'm reading through C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia right now. And in one sitting, I can get through most of one of those books. I'll be done with that thing in uh, a week and a half probably. Was Lord of the Rings, if I read a half hour a day or whatever, I'm, I'm a slow reader. I, I get really immersed in what I'm reading. So... Lord of the Rings can last me a few months easily. I'll sit there, I mean, I don't know, a chapter a night, maybe. Just really get, but then at the end of it, I can tell you the whole story in detail. <laughs> like we talked in hobbies, I'm a storyteller. So I, can, <laughs> I, I take through every detail. I can tell you Beric the Britain from cover to cover if y'all got a couple hours and want to sit down. Maybe we'll have you regale that to us at some other point in time. 
<laughs> yeah. Maybe, Maybe later. later. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we never do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about you, Robbie? Do you have a specific length or a makeup of a book or anything like that? So I was thinking about it while you guys were talking. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have a specific length, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, just give out my personal opinions for a book. So depending on what it is, so like, you know, just using my example of uh, The Outpost, which I really enjoyed, because that's rare for me to actually sit down and actually enjoy a book. I'm much more of a visual person uh, or, uh, you know, honestly, I like I like listening to books or podcasts and things like that where the story is being kind of read to me. So, but for like a book like The Outpost, one thing I really liked about it, one, it wasn't super tiny font. So like size 12 plus font for me, if it's below 12, like automatically I open that book and I'm like, okay, if I have to squint, which I get, it's a personal problem. I need to get LASIK or something. But if I have to like squint and sit there and really like, you know, read a ton of words on one little page, like that's automatically a turnoff. Um, The other thing is with being more of a visual person, Um, I really like, and I get it, it's not going to be the same way for fiction, although you could go ahead and throw some art in there. I like having pictures throughout, which is going to make me sound like a child. But when, uh, you know, if you're trying to describe like, you know, Lord of the Rings, for example, if you're trying to describe like Minas Tirith, one thing that would really help me is if you put like pictures in there, um, just to be able to, you know, describe like all the towers and all this kind of stuff, but then also be able to see like, okay, this is what the author whether or not they drew it or if they had some artists do it, this is what they're envisioning with it. Um, so it's kind of fun for me to kind of read it in the book and then also see the photos. But as far as length, I mean, I'm not really too worried about how big the book is so long as, you know, the chapters aren't so long to the point that, you know, if it's going to take me more than 30 minutes to finish a chapter, not a big fan because I end up, you know, getting busy or sidetracked and then, you know, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of hard to just like pick back up if I have to step away for some reason. Um, so anyways, big things for me, I guess, just in, in, uh, in closing font size, maybe having a picture every now and again, I'm not talking about every single page, but you know, like at the end of the chapter, just have something to show like what you described and that's pretty much it. Okay. I'm kind of the same way. I, I like to see the visual aspect of books, but at the same time, I'm kind of like Taylor where I can get immersed in a book and especially, you know, going back to Lord of the Rings and how J.R.R. Tolkien describes aspects of the world he's building. I can just picture myself in there. And then I like the shorter stuff like James Harriet, you know, his chapters are only five to ten pages long. And the book I'm holding now, the All Things Wise Wonderful, it's only about four hundred and forty pages. So it's I I don't know, a medium length book, I guess. But it breaks it up pretty well. So kinda next thing, you already mentioned this, Robbie, but so do you prefer listening to books then? Uh the answer, yes. <laughs> Bottom line up front. At this point in time, you know, for me, um, you know, with just having kind of a busy life with work and having kids and all this kind of stuff, and then like you you fools want to play Xbox all the time. Uh, do this and play Dungeons and Dragons on Mondays. I mean, it's it's really hard for me to carve out a a solid period of time, um, which is you know kind of self inflicted because I like watching sports and I like doing this kind of stuff and hanging out with friends and whatnot and hanging out with my family. So for me, the biggest time where I can 
really dive into something like this is on like road trips. Like, so if I'm having to go to like Atlanta for work or something, and I know I'm about to be in the car for three hours, um, you know, it's really nice to go ahead and just throw on, um, I do typically default to podcasts, but I have listened to some audiobooks that have been really, uh, really nice and kind of relaxing. But for me, that's, I guess in, in short, yes, I would prefer listening to books just due to optimizing the amount of time that I really have to be able to uh, dedicate to it. So, audiobooks for the win. It's okay, Robbie. You can just admit that you don't know how to read. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never really <laughs> learned. I mean, I think that I have basically an eighth grade, you know, education. No, I'm just kidding. I did graduate from high school and college, sort of. Got a bachelor's degree in uh, criminal justice, so take that for what it is. <laughs> My wife and I joke sometimes because, like, if I'm if I'm reading in bed or something, especially when it's late, I'm reading for a while. They like my eyes will start to water, and so <laughs> she's like, uh, when it started, this little inside joke. She's like, "Wait, are you crying?" I was like, "No, I, I just I just can't read. I've been staring at this page." And, and so now it's like an inside joke because I was messing with her that if you know my eyes start watering, it's like that's okay. You'll learn how to read. Chris, it's okay to be emotional, man. Like, if you're just reading a book that's really hitting you, it's fine. Yeah. No judgment. So, I I definitely, uh, I could, I could kind of agree with Robbie as far as, like, listening to books, but my problem is I don't absorb and remember books the same way when I listen to them. So, I can kind of, I kind of, like, maybe kind of have two categories in my memory of like books that I've read versus books that I listen to an audiobook. And honestly, I couldn't tell you nearly as much as the ones I listened to. So, I mean, for quality of story, um, I, I have to read it, I guess. And like Rob said, I have the same boat, just finding time to read, dedicate to that. It's tough. I haven't read a, a new book in a while. I've got a stack of a couple that I want to read that I've purchased and just haven't, haven't broken the spine yet. So yeah, like driving to work, going on road trips, much easier to just listen while you're doing something else, but it's tough. When was the last time you guys had a book read to you by a person in person? Every night, uh, helping <laughs> my wife put my son to bed. We go through. Dude, he loves books. Oh my! Goodness. I mean, no, like well, like a like as. Okay, fine. Hey, those count, man. <laughs> like a book reading type thing? You go to, like, an author's reading off their newly released book, that type of thing? Sure, if that's a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Ooh. I remember the last... Okay, go ahead, Rob. Well, no, you bring up a very good point. Well, you and Chris can both. I cannot believe I didn't think about the fact that I read books, like, just about every night when I put my daughter to sleep. Right? Yeah, but, I mean, those books are the most perfect length ever three minutes at most you know <laughs> little blue truck you know what it uh go dog go yep yes dude my 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 son calls that go go he wants go-go. man some some Aww. of those books some of those books they like you know they they spit out some real life lessons in about three and a half minutes and i'm just sitting there like we i'm okay reading this to my three and a half year old so rob you wanted you wanted big font with illustrations yeah no no i'm, I'm, I'm finding my calling right now <laughs> See, <laughs> I was gonna make a joke. I was gonna make a joke about that earlier, but it came up. It's all awesome. <laughs> see the blue truck go. Yeah, yeah. No, friendly blue truck. Beep beep. <laughs> no, I've even thought about before. It would be so easy to make a 
um, make a child's book because there have been certain stories that I've just like made up to tell my daughter at night to like get her to go to sleep finally that I even told my sister who's an artist um, you know we should go in on children's books because there are certain things man I mean kids will kiss kids will listen to anything so I've got I've got some good ideas I'm not gonna put them out there because you know I don't want anybody stealing my ideas but I'm changing my uh, I'm changing my length uh, answer so three and a half minutes is pretty good for me I like that <laughs> well here's the thing here's the thing I, I think a lot of people think that kids books are easy to write which is why there's so many garbage kids books like I and I was reading I don't even remember what story. I, I don't, I, even if I remembered, I wouldn't tell you because it doesn't deserve to be read. Uh, there was there was some kids' book that we either picked up or got as a gift that is just atrocious. Like the story is just it's bad, man. I don't like it at all. And it's like maybe kids would like it because of the drawings, but like it's painful. Isn't that the, the opening? One of the opening problems in the movie Elf with Will Ferrell that the dad. Was gonna yeah. ship the books? No, I want to take a twenty thousand dollar bath so some kids can figure out what happened to a duck and a whatever it is and a chicken. Ship the book because <laughs> they left out the last page. Somebody just left out the pages because they didn't want to pay for you <laughs> the, the the reprint. So uh, Robbie answered well, the other question I was gonna pose, but uh, go ahead, Chris. I mean, that's kind of funny though because that that reminded. I was just talking to my wife today, like, oh man. You know, like if if I if I didn't have if I if I had to like leave my current job, like what else you know what else could I do? And I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go be if you guys have seen Parks and Rec, I'm gonna go be Johnny Karate. <laughs> I'm gonna do like <laughs> kids music, just like put it on YouTube or something. I don't know, like <laughs> I just think it'd be fun. And then Rob's over here. We're gonna start like we're gonna start like a kid a kids entertainment company. Rob's got the books. I'll do like the songs. And <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so um yeah, I think Rob kind of kind of got into something else you said you were going to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say if you were going to write a book, you know, what genre would it be? How long would it be? But really just what type of genre? What would okay. it be about? So the very first thing Taylor talked about on this episode, Barrick the Briton, he talked about the author who wasn't his favorite author, but he writes his favorite book. What he did, well, you picked Tolkien, all right, and you have to you have to stick to that because I had to change my answer because of you. So, what you said though was he writes fiction characters into nonfiction stories, and I have. I think you would call it. I think it's called historical fiction. Okay. Well, well I think that's. Maybe all right. So my, I something I've actually thought about before is I in like daydreaming, imagine it in my own head is writing stories about fictional people witnessing, you know, non-fictional events, but but not just historical fiction. I don't know. Maybe I take it a step further. I want like accurate historical fiction where the person I'm, but that I, I'd write like the main character, the fiction character that I'm writing about has no, they're like involved in the story, but they have no impact like <laughs> on the, how history actually plays out. Yeah, that's, that's Hinty. That just G Hinty. That's how he does it with all these historical events. The main character, the, it's always a, a young man. He'll be between, you know, like 15 to like young twenties years old. 
and he'll end up being an aide to, you know, one of the major generals or, or, you know, like yeah. Beric the Briton interacts directly with Nero and things like that. Like people that you would know. Yeah. I just thought if, for, as far as like storytelling goes, I think I've actually thought about scenarios like that before. And I actually haven't read that author either. So that's interesting. I thought I probably would, if I was telling stories, kind of go with something like that. However, recently I've started to write some like professional papers and I could see myself writing, writing a book, like a, a nonfiction sort of professional topical book. The kind of thing you'd probably get like academically published, but I wouldn't expect anybody outside of like a really specific, uh, like graduate level class to, to actually ever read. Going for that peer reviewed status, I see. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see myself doing something like that. Okay. Taylor, what about you? I've tried putting together a couple stories a few times. I, we talked about it before that um, when we were kids, I started trying to put together a little fantasy story, Lord of the Rings style. Caledwin Knights, I remember. <laughs> Knights, the night the four Knights of Caledwin, man. Knights of Caledwin. We were Caledwin Knights. Yeah, we were. I think I've also started writing one that I don't think will ever materialize into anything other than a, a pet project. That would be a little adventure series of my daughter, and then when, when my son, when he's born, uh, would would feature them in different stories that would be like life lessons. Like I've written out some of the little rhyming poetry things for different lessons I want to teach them. And then I would like to one day make that into a kid's graphic novel, just like sketched by me, you know, like this little adventure the kids go on and teaches them something. So I guess it's not different from a kid's book, but it, it's a little bit different because it's about my kids and it's like a graphic novel with life lessons in there, like poetry kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know if it will actually ever happen, but I've I've pictured it in my head how it will look. Well, that actually sounds pretty adorable. I have a question. I have a question for you guys. You kind of we've talked about the kids' books a little. Do you think there is an age group or target audience that is more difficult to write to? I'm thinking of like there's a lot of young adult books. That's like the biggest section of Barnes and Noble for some reason. It's probably a, a volume question of like how much can be produced for the cheapest and how much that will be consumed or at least bought by readers. Well, yeah, I, I, there's, there's definitely like a marketing side of it, but I'm thinking like, cause to write to little kids, I don't know if it's quite as simple as saying, you know, the blue dog went into the house, you know, like there's, there's definitely an art to that. I feel like writing to young adults might be easier because you can tell a story and you don't have to use fancy words. Or, But maybe it's harder because you have to limit the vocabulary or something that 12-year-olds will understand or 15-year-olds. You know what I mean? That's a good question. I really thought about that. Because if you wrote a story right now without taking into account the target audience you want to read it, it would probably be somewhere between like a young adult adventure and... Tolkien, <laughs> you know, somewhere in between there. Yeah. 
But like Tolkien didn't write that for 12 year olds, even though 12 year olds everywhere love it. Right. <laughs> I first read Tolkien when I was 13 and he wasn't the first book I'd read. I'd, I'd been reading G.A. Hinty for a while and I read through Lord of the Rings and I, it was way above me. I mean, I, I was a, a pretty good reader by then. Was, I, say, I say 13, I think that's right. Cause I think the first movie came out in 2003. I would have been 13. Yeah. Um, and it was, I, I'd get lost in huge portions of that book. So you're onto something, Chris. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious because you know, like, we could definitely all try to get together and write a kids' book. But I think that I think honestly, writing a kids' book is probably harder than we all think it is. And I almost wonder if writing like a young adult book might be kind of easy because you could just tell a story without being as detailed as you want to be. I know, but I don't know. Maybe I know there's a lot of lazy young adult books that get very popular and make money. But I don't know. I feel like the older I get, the harder it is to relate to, to like teenagers. And I feel like maybe it would be harder to write a story that they're like they that they would connect with. The good ones are are good. Harry Potter is great. I mean, it's the the first few are a little bit lower quality, but the last few Harry Potter novels are really really good writing. They're interesting, and the characters are deep. Well, yeah, and the books are twice as long. <laughs> yeah, they really, they really ramp up. Yeah. So I think to Taylor's point about the lazy, lazily written books, uh, I think a perfect example of that, and I'm probably going to offend some people here, not in this group, but the book that pops out to me or the series that pops out to me is Twilight. Like, what a oh, garbage series, in my opinion. <laughs> but it became so stinking popular, and then those movies just made it so much worse. I'm gonna so I have that. to assume you've read them if you're going to comment on them. I have not. I have not. But okay, so just from my observation and just looking at how popular it got, I mean, come on, that doesn't take that much imagination. Some sparkly vampire going around like it's like Fifty Shades of Grey meets you know vampires, but like <laughs> so rated PG thirteen. I have read these, and I will say that it they were captivating in the same way. I think that. Harry Potter was captivating. Don't you uh, dare compare those two things. <laughs> no, no, for real. Because they're written to like the same kind of age group of people, and they're pretty different stories. Um, however, I was really disappointed with how it ended up. Like The whole last book, to me, was really disappointing. Because I, I was getting really imaginative, and the story, I think, had um, some really cool things it could have done. And then it went super... like it went basically super teenage girl drama emotional and had some really weird things that just came up and then it became harder and harder for me to like, <laughs> be in, like, like late that get that quality reading. Yeah. And, you know, like it started off, I was like, Oh, this is a neat story. And then by the last book, it was, it was really tough to, to be part of. I read that as a teenager. Mm. So as far as the whole question of children's books versus like, you know, the audience. So without going into too much detail, I think I have a pretty good children's book like Squared Away. And, I, and Critic is a huge fan thus far, that being my three and a half year old daughter. <laughs> so obviously not a not a book yet. Uh, it, it might happen. And if anyone on here steals my idea, I'm going to be kind of upset with you guys. But it is what it is. Um so, no, it's basically, I started telling my daughter a story 
that I think could very easily translate into a child's book and probably become pretty popular just based on, well, not necessarily, I don't want to say probably become popular, but I think there would definitely be room for it because it kind of, it's something that kids get interested in pretty easily. So I've told my, my daughter a story for the last two and a half years, I want to say. So we're talking the, uh, the target audience would be anywhere from, I would say a year and a half, someone that's one and a half years old, all the way up to probably, I would say like five years old. But basically, I always used to tell my, my daughter a fictional somewhat story about um, my time as a, so I, I mean, you guys know I'm an army engineer, so not a real engineer, just an army engineer, and talking about army construction equipment, um, which I feel like kids all love, like bulldozers and stuff like that. So the story has been kind of, the, I guess the title of it would be the excavator story, because my daughter loves construction equipment, oddly enough, and it's all because of the story. But it just kind of talks through the fictional construction of a road on an army base talking and it just kind of going through the different functions of different construction equipment so like not giving away too much but um, you know an excavator is used for scooping up dirt a grader is used for smoothing roads a bulldozer is used for pushing dirt and I feel like that would be a really easy model to just turn into a book if you had somebody that could go ahead and kind of draw that out in like a fun childish way and then just have these little things that they just kind of learn about. Because I feel like, you know, who doesn't like construction equipment? And if you don't, I mean, I don't know. I like construction equipment. I think it's cool. I think my son would love that. He loves those, like, big machinery and that kind of thing. I also think that your youngest, newest troops will benefit a lot from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, like, so now, like, we'll be driving down the road, and my daughter will be, like, looking out the window, and she'll just be like, look, an excavator, look, a bulldozer, you know, and it, I mean, it's just, it's pretty fun. So it's kind of like a fun way to kind of educate kids on, you know, something that, you know, more than likely they're probably never going to dabble in, you know, construction equipment. But I don't know. I know my my daughter and my number one critic when it comes to my my book idea is a huge fan. So maybe I'll uh, one well, yeah. day piece that together. That's cool, dude. <laughs> I, I like the way also that it's not just like, here's a collection of big things. It's like they're working, you know, they're all of them doing their purpose towards an end result yep. and then you're like oh and then you see like how the road is built so that's that's an awesome idea i think you should do it before somebody else hears this and steals yep, it yep gotta get going on it <laughs> don't worry chris never no one's ever gonna listen to this that's, that's, that's true. true yeah especially not somebody that'll write a children's book but if you do and i find out that there's an excavator story out there somewhere i'm gonna be pretty upset not you guys i'm just saying you know random listeners <laughs> Oh, we got a free pass that I'm already halfway through the uh, second chapter writing this children's book I stole from Robbie. <laughs> it's easy to get through two two or three chapters when the ideal length for the book is three. Right? But, but see, that's <laughs> that's the cool thing about it is like, you know, really if I wanted to, I feel like in like a day I could do the writing portion of it and then it would just be, you know, having my having my sister doing the little, you know, cartoony kids book, you know, things. Which, Taylor, didn't your – I think your uncle – used to do kids' book drawings, right? He did the illustrations for the children's science book that my mom wrote. Uh, yeah, called... Yeah, the science curriculum. They weren't like... I wouldn't say they were like children's drawings. It was like... No, they weren't. They're, it's, they're really, really good. It's Christian Kids Explore Biology and Christian Kids Explore Chemistry are the homeschool science curriculum books that my mother wrote. And then... Her brother did the illustrations for him. And if you just Google that, 
Christian Kids Explore Biology, you'll see they are fantastic. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to look at it right now. Christian Kids Explore. So Make I have sure a question because I'm sitting yeah. here looking. I'm looking at my stack of books here, guys, and I don't. I, I don't know if there's a, a quick way to like list them all off. I like the kind of the books that you guys like of all sorts of varieties. But I'm looking at one, and I picked it because it's the first book that I remember, the first real book, like chapter book that I remember reading, and I was really proud and excited that I read it, the whole thing, and I finished it. And uh, do you guys have any books like that that you remember? Yes, I would say the first series of books that I read when I was a kid that I was like, man, I freaking read these books. A series of unfortunate events. I don't know if you guys read those or not, but I always loved those books. And then I think they made like two movies or something like that. And it was with like Jim Carrey was the main guy. And they also did a TV show fairly recently. Was it Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy Uncle. Maybe I should, maybe I should right. check that out. But yeah, no, I mean, I remember those it's were probably the good. first the first books that I was like, yeah, check me out. Because at the, like Taylor mentioned, I tried reading The Fellowship of the Ring when the movie started coming out, and I think like fifth grade in uh, elementary school, and started reading them and was like, yeah, I don't even kind of understand what's going on in this ridiculously hard to understand book. <laughs> did Did you guys read those Are You Afraid of the Dark books in like fourth or fifth grade? Are you afraid of the dark? I'd have to look that up. Oh, man. And Goosebumps? Oh, they were like kids, kids like scary stories. All right, well, the, the, the book I'm thinking of, maybe it'll spark some memories. It, this, the book I'm looking at right here says it was published in 1998, and then this printing was 1999, was Holes. Ooh, yeah. Right? This was the book that I, I must have read it when I was 9 or 10 years old. Shia LaBeouf, man. And... Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously the movie was fantastic, but the book, like I remember reading it, I enjoyed the story. I read, I enjoyed it so much. I read through the whole thing, and uh, that, yeah, I, I, my wife apparently did the same because we we had two copies of the book and the movie when we got married and moved together. But I just, yeah, it was like the first one I remember. I was proud of reading it. It must have been what fourth or fifth grade, probably that or like big full chapter book, you know. The first big series that I remember reading was the Boxcar Children. How a bunch of homeless kids live in a boxcar, get picked up by their super rich grandpa. Always, I don't know, I always liked those, those book series growing up. I never read them, but my brother did. And I grew up like around those books. I could picture them. Like, he had a huge stack of them. I never actually read them. They were definitely good when you were a certain age but as soon as you got older it's like eh I, I remember the name I don't know if I've read them big back in the day they had I can't remember how many books they had but they had I don't know maybe 20 30 plus in, in their series hmm I used to eat them up well Taylor just borrowed a bunch of books from me I did and I actually love those books that I let you borrow. So I am definitely wanting this back. But if I could. Yeah. Speaking of loving books, Beric the Briton, my favorite book is also my favorite first book that I read. That's like a big one. It's a, it's a hefty boy book and it's out on loan right now to a friend of mine. And I, it'll be a while before I see him because of where his job has taken him for this year. 
<laughs> and I told him, I was like, I want that book back, man. And I almost got it back from him because he hadn't read it yet. He's like, no, 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 I really want to read it after your recommendation. He's like, let me keep it. Okay. Well, yeah, so now we're in a similar boat because you need to finish those books before I end up yeah. moving in a few months. But I let Taylor borrow the Halo books. Halo is in the video game. Good series of books. I, I like them a lot. Obviously, I like the games. They, they were pretty much the, the games that really got me into playing games for the story, like the Halo, Halo 1, 2, and 3 were like my favorite. A good formative uh, time as well as a, a young, young teenager becoming teenager. Uh, anyway, the books are great stories. In the first three, I let Taylor borrow a company, the first and second game, I think. Uh, and one of them's like a prequel to the game, and that's probably one of my favorite because you read about how the Spartans, the main, you know, protagonists of the game, how they came to be, and I think it's just a really fascinating story. And it's uh, it's really cool. I like that a lot. So the, there's a series of of books. I let Taylor borrow, I think, three or four. And they got really, like, you know how fan things go, like like Star Wars, Star Trek. There's all sorts of, like, fan, not fan, but, like, just books and books that, like, additional stories. After the first three or four, I think a lot of, they, they made a lot more Halo books. And I, I really don't enjoy them nearly as much yeah, as the first few. I read The Fall of Reach, The Flood can't remember the third but i think it was first contact or first strike first strike. Was, first strike and then ghost of onyx and then there was yep. uh contact harvest i think or something to do with harvest oh that's right contact harvest and cold protocol not read i started reading contact harvest i did not read cold protocol and i've kind of lost interest for all the yeah but i would say if anybody likes those games and likes those types of stories and wants a copycat of starship troopers <laughs> uh yeah uh the the three first three halo books are really good really really good and and i will say that's it's interesting because those books came after a very very good story was told in a video game which a little backwards from from some other things so halo was an excellent video game story it kind of like raised the bar for a lot of other video games and uh, they wrote books, and the, and the authors of these books actually um, did it in conjunction with the people who made the game, so that the the story writers of the game basically approved what they were writing, which I think makes helps the continuity and makes them makes them especially good. if they agree to adhere to that canon. <coughs> George Lucas. Well, you say <laughs> that, but if you read Fall of Reach and play the game Fall of Reach, they are nothing like each other. They completely really? retcon the entire thing. Boo. Well, I don't, I don't know if the book is supposed to be like the game, but yeah, sure. Um, well, I like well, the, the book came out well before Fall of Reach, the game, so they, they kind of mess things up. Okay, so I had a few more thoughts because I really like books. And John, if you'll be gracious enough for me to insert a couple interesting book spin questions. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. A little bit kind of lightning round. We don't have to go into too much detail in any of these, but the things that I was thinking were like, what's a book that has had an impact on you. That's kind of niche that like not everybody would have heard of or liked. That's they might not even be interested in. And then a book that you 
like, but you never finished or didn't even start that you want to read? Something like that. Like what's something that's out there for you next? So the niche one, I can go first if you guys want, because that might take a second to think of. I mean, I've got the got right. an answer already. It's I've actually I've already mentioned it's that James Harriet book. It's I think it's a pretty niche uh, book there that hardly any people have heard of, and it's just a really cool story about a veterinarian in the UK. You know, <laughs> so I, life it really impacted me. His life and time. Yeah, life and times. <laughs> I loved a book that I encountered in college. When I, in a historiography class, which is how to do history, called The Historian's Fallacies. And it's a pretty dense book on logical fallacies that you would run into as it applies to doing the work of writing history. And I mean, it's, there's, I, I don't know, maybe a thousand different types of historical fallacies in here. Three different sections broke down into three, nine, twelve chapters. And each of those has a whole list of all the Latin phrases and the types of thinking that leads you into a historical fallacy. But a lot of it applies to just general critical thinking. And it's it's a book I go back to sometimes. When I like either read an article, maybe historical or not, I mean just a news article or somebody's opinion on Facebook or something, and you sit there and you think to yourself, that doesn't sound right. There's something skewed about the way they're thinking, and I need a way to articulate what I think might be wrong about that. Or, as it applies to, hopefully, myself, as I'm thinking about things, I, I want to hold that type of thinking up to myself. So, Historian's Fallacies is my very funny niche book. It's very worthwhile, but you might not have ever heard of it. It's by David Hackett Fisher, Historian's Fallacies. Toward a logic of historical thought. Yeah. Chris, Rob, who's next? I could throw one out there. So most people have probably read this book, but if they have, it's probably been a really long time. And I kind of want to reread it um, now that we're in 2020 and beyond. Um, but I would say Fahrenheit 451 always jumped out at me as like a, holy crap, you know, like a book that was written... Yeah, in the 50s, it had so much, like it called so much stuff going into like this day and age, which the number one thing that jumped out at me was the whole, they, you know, they predicted that there would be these massive billboards on the side of the road. And then there was all, you know, and that obviously happened because they were talking about cars moving so fast and you needed giant signs to be able to see what they were saying. Um, but then just generally, I mean, if you've read that book, you know, there's a lot of like kind of wonky stuff that goes into it where basically governments start erasing history, which I'm not going to get into politics or anything, but obviously we've seen some of that in this past year. Um, and eventually I'm not saying it's going to get to the point that the, you know, like the government is like straight up burning books so that there's no history, but people like memorizing stuff. I don't know. I think that's really, really neat to read in this day and age. Uh, now that we're talking about that book's like 70 years old and I don't know, kind of interesting. So if you haven't read it, read it. You know, I've never read that book. That's same. That's actually really, really? interesting. Okay, well, you guys should totally read it because it's it's. I think you guys would all appreciate some of the stuff that goes on in that. Because basic, well, I don't I'm, just read yep. it. <laughs> I'm familiar with what it is, the basic. Exactly, of it. yeah, same. There's a couple like big hallmark 
because I grew up homeschooled, I didn't go through like the structured reading programs that a lot of people would go through. I read what I wanted to read. So Catch-22, The Catcher in the Rye, Fahrenheit 451. I've never read these books. Um, I, I started Catch-22 and really liked it. But... I think you would really like Fahrenheit 451, Taylor. I think you in particular would. Well, I was I was going to wait, but you brought it up again. I actually, I've been looking here at Catch-22 sitting right in front of me, and I was like, man, maybe I should have picked that as my favorite book. Um, so maybe that's my niche book because he, so here's the thing I was told to that I should read Catch Twenty Two and it was also popped up like as I was joining the military I was looking at all like the like commanders reading lists and that kind of thing like from professional development and stuff like that and a lot of them are some of them are, are just like leadership books and then sometimes you get some that are just like good stories good military stories so Catch Twenty Two was on there and of course everybody has heard I think it's hard to say it's niche because like people people use the phrase catch 22 and kind of know what it means, even if they haven't read the book, but, and if you didn't, what does the phrase catch 22 mean? Oh, that's a catch 22. That's a catch 22. So essentially in the story, the only way they could, they're, they're off, they're off at war. It's a bunch of uh, pilots uh, off at war on some Island flying, flying world war two type missions. And they have a set number of missions. If they fly the missions, then they can go home. They have to hit like 20 or something. Well, over time, that mission number keeps getting raised. So like nobody can actually hit it. And obviously in World War II, people, people would die a lot of these missions. So it became harder and harder to actually get to those numbers. But the only way to go home without hitting those numbers was if you were determined to be like psychologically incapable of flying. Like you're crazy. If you So if they determine that you're crazy, they could send you home. But they also said that if you if you wanted to go home or if you didn't want to go home you must have been crazy <laughs> so so basically like if if you like pretended to be crazy to try to go home it wouldn't work and it's just it's it's pretty funny the thing is about the book is i started reading the book not knowing it was intentionally funny and so i got a few chapters in and i'm like man this is weird and it's not good and then some, I read something. I'm like, there's no way that's not a joke. And then and then I looked at the back of the book. And it says, Catch-22 remains a cornerstone of American literature and one of the funniest and most celebrated books of all time. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's supposed to be funny. So I started back over from the beginning, realizing that the whole thing was basically military satire. And it was hilarious Sounds like and wonderful. my kind of book then. I thought it was if you're crazy, and I haven't read the book, so if you're crazy, you get to go home. But if you're willing to go do the bombing runs, that proves you're crazy. So you're not authorized to go fly. Uh, Catch-22. Yeah. yeah, well, in the book Catch-22, Catch-22 is a military rule. That's why it's called Catch-22. It's like, it's the military rule typifying a bureaucratic operation and reasoning. The rule is not stated in a precise form, but the principle is that if one is crazy, then one doesn't have to fly missions. And one must be crazy to fly. But you have to apply to be excused from flying, and by applying to be excused, it demonstrates that you're not crazy. <laughs> that's about yeah, the most so, military so thing Yassarian, I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yassarian is the, is the main character. And he is just, the whole time, he's trying to get out of flying. And so they're like, look, 
if you don't want to fly, it, must, it proves you're not crazy. But he's trying to use that excuse. So. Pretty funny book. There's a lot of good humor in it. There's a character named Major, 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 Major. His first, middle, and last name is Major, and they promoted him to the rank of Major as a joke. Oh, my goodness. I wish the army would do that to me. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a major pain in the butt. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Sorry, Taylor, so Taylor, what were you saying? So, a book that you've either started reading and didn't finish that you liked, but it just didn't ever get there for you, or a book that you bought and haven't read, but you're excited about. And I'm going to pick John to start. I haven't bought a book in a while, but now that Robbie's talking about the book that he liked and the Chris and you, so I, I got a few books to choose from. So I'm thinking I might have to look into a reading, you know, the Fahrenheit 451 and uh, Catch 22. I think those are two books I really need to read at some point in time. Rob, something that maybe you haven't completed or, or owned and haven't started? I'm going to make an empty promise here. To this day, I have never read the full Lord of the Rings series. And by the full, I mean Fellowship through Return of the King. So I'm going to I'm gonna say that I'm going to read those. And probably 20 years from now, I probably will still have not read those. But I'm going to try and read those. I have three copies. You can borrow any one of them. Dang it, man. You're making this hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wasn't going to read them, but I am going to read them. So yeah, okay. Catch <laughs> I'll borrow them. <laughs> I'll borrow them. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Yeah, so I've got two books that I, just based off your question, that I can think of that I know I have purchased them, but I have not read them yet, and I want to. So I've got I've got several books in this category um, that I've gotten recently-ish that I haven't read. Um, the first one is called it worked for me in life and leadership by colin powell so it's like a it's like an i don't know if it's an autobiography but i have it and entertain yeah i'm I'm not sure if it is an autobiography but it's seems like it's an autobiography of colin powell or it's just his views on leadership and his experiences so i think that to me is one i definitely want to go read i mean i bought it for a reason the second one is a more recent one that I think I just think this guy is kind of cool. <laughs> it's uh, Congressman uh, Dan Crenshaw from Texas, the the I yeah the former Navy SEAL uh, with the eye patch. He's a congressman now. He has a book called Fortitude. You know, I've seen a lot of that stuff, especially you know just getting out of the election season. But it's called Fortitude: American Resilience in the Era of Outrage, and it just seemed really interesting. I want to read it, so I've got it. I just haven't I haven't cracked it open yet. I'm interested. To, to check it out. I'm, I'm hoping it's not one of those books that just like makes me angry because of politics, you know, like whether it's something you agree with or not, sometimes politics just gets you fired up. Read the subtitle again. Yeah. So it's fortitude, American resilience in the era of outrage. Have you seen his run in with Pete Davidson on Saturday night live? Yes. Can you give the synopsis, please? Yeah. Pete Davidson is a super intentionally offensive comedian. That's like his... It's it's his shtick. He he says edgy things. He lost his dad. His dad was 
a firefighter in 9-11. And this guy, because of the edgy style of his comedy, works that into his jokes. That's like something he grew up with and he works it into his jokes. That's on his authority to do that, I guess, if he wants to. I, it's not the style of humor that I would go for. But he's on SNL and he insulted Dan Crenshaw for losing his eye. I don't even remember what he said, but it was something like that, something very flippant and offensive against him losing his eye in an IED in Iraq. And the, the net, for the full week for SNL, I mean, that would, it just he was blown up for it because it was way over the line, inappropriate. And the next week, Dan Crenshaw made an appearance on SNL with him. And Pete Davidson apologized in a funny but genuine way. And then Dan Crenshaw accepted in a funny but genuine way. And then he got the turn to turn it and rib on Pete Davidson a couple times as part of the SNL joke. They're like little news thing. Really, really funny. Very good natured on both parts. And that fits the subtitle of the book, right? You know. American resilience in the era of outrage. Yeah. Like, and that's what he said in that bit. I bet that's in the book. I guarantee you that's in the book. Because he made a big deal on SNL. Like, can we all just calm down, quit being so mad at each other? And this was in, it looks like what I'm seeing on the Google results, 2018 is when that happened. And look how well things have gone for American outrage since then. Not great. Not great. So I think I would support the message that he probably has in that book. Well, I think the uh, I think Colin Powell is uh, expected to be a little less controversial, uh, potentially. I, that's the thing is I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to trust right now because we just got out of an electric season and we talked about misinformation already. But this it's I don't know how much of this is political. I don't know how much of it is maybe it's just about resilience. Like, you know, it's specifically like targeted resilience, but I don't know. I'll let you guys know. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. For books that I've bought that I haven't read, there's an enormous list. I'm going to go with getting to yes, I think. Let's see. Good to great. Getting to yes. Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 Rules of Life. I've got Liberty Order, Liberty, Order and Justice. Um, yeah, Getting to Yes is one that was recommended from another much better podcast. I want to read that one because it's about negotiating. And as I understand it, it's about negotiating not like in a competitive way, but in a cooperative way where you, figure, you you try to negotiate based off what the other party actually wants. It's not just like a, a, you know, a pitched battle over how many dollars you're willing to spend fighting back and forth. But what do you want? What do I want? Where can we meet? Let's, let's help each other out. Most of the books that I want to read that I haven't, are they're not storybooks, so I don't ever get around to them. Yeah, I would uh, say I'm probably in the same boat. Yeah. Before you give your closing, closing comments, I, I have two, <laughs> two things I would like to talk, talk about. Talk more about books. Yeah, well, no. So I, I mentioned I've got this stack of books here. What if we go to the subreddit, r slash depends on the, on the topic, and we had a, a post there, and we listed our, our books, like our recommended reading books. And maybe I'll categorize them a little bit. But Can we take a picture of the books? Can I just take a picture? 
Yeah, put whatever, however you want to do it. I've got several. Maybe I'll take a picture of all of them, and I'll just like put them in there, and I'll put like I've got some for like uh, personal development, professional development, just good stories, that kind of thing. And maybe, yeah, uh, I don't know. Would you guys want to do that? Maybe post your your like recommended reading list. I will post a picture of a stack of books. Okay, that's a, yeah. <laughs> as much as I'll give you. Okay. Sure, sure. I mean, or just maybe some of the books we talked about. Just like, hey, these are the ones I talked about, and this is why I like them. And I just had a hard time choosing. Like, there's other books for sure I would would have liked to talk about too. Of course. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if we came back around to this, but last week we talked about or last episode we talked about astronomy. I was actually getting ready to segue into that, but. <laughs> oh, okay cool cool please do <laughs> cool, 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 cool. so yeah like what chris was saying that you know, last episode we all said that we would at least try to go out and take a look at the the stars and see if we could find maybe like a constellation or a planet or you know just what we could see and so i actually went outside just to the backyard with my parents and we're just looking up the stars and you could actually see mars with your you know unaided just Bam, bright red dot in the night sky. So I thought that that's what I saw right away. And I thought that was really cool. What about you guys? Mine's going to be similar to yours. I saw Mars, but first I actually saw what ended up being Jupiter and Saturn. So we were out for a family walk and uh, it's starting to get dark. Streetlights are coming on. It's just dark enough that the, the brightest stars, a couple brightest stars, there's only three of them. And the reason they were the brightest because they were planets. So I, I pulled out the app. I looked up. Sure enough, the, the two of them that were pretty close to each other, um, I guess to the southwest of where I am, two of them were kind of close to each other. Uh, Jupiter was the brightest, and then Saturn was just above and to the left of that. And then if I looked way left, so that'd be what I was, I looked towards the southeast, I could see Mars, like you said, just this big, bright red dot. So I thought it was cool. And then once I knew that, Every night since, I've noticed them, because it's that time of year, I guess. They're all just kind of right there. So I've noticed the the three planets. I just think it's awesome. Looking up, I'm like, yep, I know what those are. Yeah, I want to see more of the planet. I did see Mars. I noticed it. I got the app on my phone and picked out some of the constellations and things like that. But I've been shopping for telescopes. I want to find a decent, cheap, used telescope. And that led me, well, through... Amazon review sections led me to looking for local astronomy groups, which is something I'd never thought of. But one of the, a very good comment on a Amazon product, uh, the telescope, you know, product comment review. This guy said, Hey, don't go buy a telescope, go join an astronomy group and try a couple different types and levels of your quality and everything like that. And let other people give you some advice. So I've been looking for those. Can't find an active one right now. We're still in the middle of COVID things, or hopefully near the end of it. But I also found out there's a a new, but and for, had forgot that here in town there's a space center thing. So we're trying to put together a, a time we can go there. It's kid friendly, so it's a little space museum thing with a planetarium show. And also we're going to try to do that soon. Cool. What about you, Robbie? So kind of similar to you guys, 
So where I live at, it's kind of out in the country. I also was able to see Mars, which is cool. Additionally, this past weekend, my National Guard unit, we were out in the field up at Fort Gordon, Georgia, in Augusta, sleeping out in the woods and whatnot. And I did notice, I did notice uh, Mars, tons of stars. I didn't actually pull the app out, so I probably was looking at some planets and really didn't realize it because you can kind of tell they're different. That's pretty much it. I also did see a shooting star the other night, so that was fun. You know, now that weather's getting nicer, I personally love when it starts getting cold out. So where I live at right now, I think like tomorrow, planning on going out hunting, it's going to be in the mid-30s when I get up in the morning. So I'll probably, as I'm sitting in the tree stand, hoping that I see a deer, we'll probably glance up at the sky, hopefully see something cool. But yeah, cool stuff. I uh, just pulled up a picture that I took in July of 2018 in uh, the middle of Iraq. I had brought my camera with me, and I realized one night, my nice camera, uh, on this deployment, I realized uh, I could see the Milky Way, like with my naked eye, pretty well out there, because there's just not much light pollution. I'm, uh, I'm dragging it into there now, but uh, there was a particular night where there was a lunar eclipse, and Mars was like right next to it. So I set up my camera, and I got a, I got a picture of the moon uh, and Mars and the Milky Way all in one shot. Taylor mentioned seeing the Milky Way in my backyard. Sure did. That's Pretty amazing. Cool. That's something I want to do is be able to see the, the Milky Way almost unaided. Yeah, it's it's not like one of those really good like space pictures. Like Some people do it as a hobby, and it's like really, really good, really, really cool. I don't think I'm going to invest the time and money into getting the right equipment and, and, and knowledge to make really good space pictures, but I, I don't know. I just, obviously, space is cool. I, I wish I could take good pictures of it. I saw the Milky Way like that one time when I was in Switzerland working as a camp counselor, well, volunteering as a camp counselor, and we did a, a midnight hike, and... Out there, I mean, you have the mountains blocking all the light pollution, a couple small villages, but you're already up in the mountains. So you have, I think, thinner atmosphere probably helps. I don't know. But it was incredible, the amount of color you could see. And we could see satellites and just any shooting star that was there, any any debris falling into the atmosphere that you would never see anywhere else. We saw tons of them. It wasn't a meteor shower. It was just, you can just see everything. Really, really cool. Did you guys see the totality of the solar eclipse? Or was that the lunar solar solar eclipse? It was a solar eclipse, and I was not near enough to totality, uh, but I was able to look up some special glasses where I was, and it was pretty cool. That was 2018, 17? not 17. able to partake. I think it was actually working. <laughs> I saw it, and the totality. And as soon as it was over, I pulled up my phone and I Googled, when is the next 100% solar eclipse in America? And we've, we've got some plans lining up for, I think it's 2024. I'm just telling everybody in my family, like, get ready because we're going. It's worth it. It's worth making the trek to, to see it. It's something special. I believe it. So any closing thoughts or anything like that? Uh, yes, Starship Troopers, the book, is amazing. Don't watch the movie. It's on a list. <laughs> Just don't watch the movie. 
So I think that about wraps it up for us. So I hope you all enjoyed our discussion. And tune in next time when the pin's on the topic. Cue the outro.